0: Hello everyone, it's a very warm day here in Tucson, Arizona, which reflects the warm welcome that we're giving you. I'm here to a Reason for Hope, we're glad that you joined us today on our broadcast and whatever platform you found us on. Reason for Hope is an hour-long live broadcast, which is guided by your questions on the Bible. You can send in your questions on the Bible through multiple online platforms, which I'll go over in just a moment, and we have some wonderful guests here who are going to use God's Word, the Bible, to find the answers to those questions. So if there's a verse or passage of Scripture that's confused you, you'd like it explained a bit more, or maybe even Christianity uh, on a whole, uh, questions about God, questions about life, uh, the universe and everything, uh, or maybe something you're going through, uh, you know, more personal level, you'd like to honor the Lord or get a, uh, a biblical perspective, really anything along those lines, as long as it's an honest question, as long as you know that the Bible is where we find the answers here on A Reason for Hope. That's what we're all about, so we're very very grateful for you um the listener and viewer um because you provide our content as your questions come on in my name is dave robson i'm your host today and like i say i'll be fielding all those questions keeping my eye on all those platforms as they come on in live and with us today we have a special treat pastor Bo will not with us all that often here and there so we're glad that you're joining us today
1: you're doing good yeah doing great yeah, yeah just got done hanging out at the beach and that was nice yeah. oh beautiful yeah was gorgeous traveling
0: a bit visiting some old friends. Well, we're glad you're back, and thank you for joining us tonight. And we also have uh, Sean Richards, of course a regular here, Pastor Sean. You doing good today?
2: Yes. The humidity is not something that we're used to here, so with the hope of the onset of rainy season, the nausea will abate. Yes, indeed.
0: (laughs) There was a little bit of rain yesterday, just a hint of, I was like, come on, come on, bring that rain. drops. Yeah, that monsoon. I'm from England where it kind of drizzles here. It's like sunny, 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 and then...
2: (laughs) <laughs> crazy if anyone's newspaper should be called the sun it'd be here and yet what do we have that's true that's true i remember that's when true. i
1: first moved out here um back in 94 uh, me and uh, scott pastor scott were down at the u of a mm-hmm. and for my first me and sylvia's first monsoon and man that thing was intense I remember me and Scott he was just like it's coming and yeah it, it was like Noah's flood man yeah oh yeah <laughs> I never seen something like that
0: yeah way your windshield wipers just don't just forget it you have yeah. to pull over you can't even see it yeah, yeah. we had a great time very exciting yeah. yeah but we love it it's fun um yes well anyway enough of this idle banter let's move <laughs> yes on yes here. as I mentioned the reason for it's a live broadcast Uh, monday through friday 5 to 6 p.m we're here with you here in uh, tucson arizona mountain standard time or wherever it is for you around the world we're glad you joining us Uh, we are live on our website it's an outreach of calvary christian fellowship here in tucson so if you go to our website calvarychristianfellowship.com if you're not uh, into social media there's a lot of people kind of leaving social media these days so our website is a good place to go as a home base for you calvarychristianfellowship.com if you follow that watch live tab That will take you to our live page. Anytime we're live, you'll find us there. Um, You'll see the video and you can sign in with a username and then you can be part of the broadcast through the chat functions and your question in uh, right there. And I will be uh, viewing those as we go along. When we're offline, you'll see a countdown to our next show and you'll see a schedule of upcoming events as well. Not only a reason for hope, but our services here at Calvary Christian Fellowship and other events that we have coming up. So you can check that out there. The direct link, ccftucson.online.church. You just type that right into your your address bar there on your web browser ccf dot church, or follow the link from calvarychristianfellowship.com it takes you to the same place. We're on Facebook as well. Look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson or facebook.com/ccf tucson. Uh, don't forget to like and share while you're there. We'd appreciate that. But that's another way you can send your question in. Uh put it in the chat function attached to the video and I will be receiving those loud and clear lord willing we have an app as well for your mobile device look for again calvary christian fellowship of tucson there's that red background with the white calvary chapel dove logo that's our app download that on your device and you can watch us there and we have a channel on roku and apple tv as well so go to your channel store and uh, add us as a channel and you can put us up on the big screen as well we're on YouTube look for a reason for hope that is the name of our channel there a reason for hope on YouTube it's a great place for archive as well anytime we've been live it archives there for you so go to that live tab and you can catch up on shows if you miss one or I uh, wanted to recap a question or anything like that so a reason for hope on YouTube once again please like and uh, subscribe click on the notification bell and then you get you'll get a little prod someone will come to your door ring the doorbell when we're live no that's not true you'll just get a little notification on your device uh, when we are live, if you click on that notification bell. That's what that's all about. Uh, our pastor here, uh, Scott Richards, our senior pastor. He's not with us today, he's usually with us, uh, well, Monday, Wednesday, Wednesday th- Thursday, Friday. Friday, right? At the moment, it keeps changing all the time, but uh, he's on Twitter, Scott R4H is his handle, Scott, letter R, number four, letter H. You can follow along with him there. He posts uh, highlights from the show, like highlighted questions mm-hmm. and things like that, but also commentary on world events as news things happen. There's so much uh, craziness just going on in the world. And he relates that to uh, Bible prophecy and end times prophecy and that kind of thing and things along those lines. So it's it's interesting to follow along with him and also some funnies and things like that. So Scott Richards on Twitter, Scott R4H if you're on Twitter yourself. We're on Rumble as well. We post some videos there if you're using that platform. Look for A Reason for Hope Bible Q&A on the Rumble platform. And, of course, we have an email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com. That's questionsforhope spelled out at gmail.com come you can send us an email there anytime with your question and we get to those on the show as well. if you're joining us on the radio we're glad that you are but you are listening to uh, our last show pre-recorded so all those other platforms aforementioned are live but on the radio you're listening to yesterday's show basically so use that email address and consider joining us on one of those live platforms when you can but we're glad you're joining us on the radio or whatever method. once again send your questions in uh, we're very grateful for them and they will guide our show along for the most part today. Well, with all that be in, being said and shared, Pastor Bo, would you, would you mind praying for us before we move any further? Let's do it. Let's, Let's do, do it. it.
1: Yeah, Father, we thank you so much for this time together. Uh, it's wonderful to, to dwell with brothers, and uh, Father, to find refreshment in your Word. and Lord, that's what our desire is, is to drink uh, from your Word uh, today. We pray that our words would be gray-seasoned with salt, that, Lord, the, the fruit of your Holy Spirit would be upon us and uh, you would uh, be glorified in that. In Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Mm, amen. Amen. Well, you guys want to jump right into
1: questions? Yes.
0: Are you ready? Yeah. Are you sitting comfortably? Yeah. Uh, we had a question um, from David. I kind of expanded on it a little bit and reworded it, but um, we talk of God being uh, the God of love and Jesus um, loving the marginalized and lowly and turn the other cheek and all that kind of stuff. And yet we also see a God of wrath and accounts of um, violence and slaughter in the Bible as well. I've heard people said many times, like, I kind of like, I like that New Testament God, you know, that New Testament Jesus. No, I don't like that Old Testament God so much, you know, and that's been a take of many people. But how do we reconcile that in our walk with God, that God is a God of love and gentleness, but also a God of wrath? And, I mean, there's slaughter and violence and things in the Old Testament, whole villages being taken out, like how do we balance this with God and our view of Him?
2: Yeah, so I guess there's four questions there. First of all, the existence of violence in the Old Testament, the absence of violence in the New Testament, the presence of violence and the distinction between that being a description or a prescription, and then of course the presence of a loving, gentle God in the Old Testament. So if we have, and this is I guess the objection in a nutshell, if you have someone who's objecting to the Bible, this kind of claim is for consistency. That if you have a God who's fundamentally changed in his nature over time, then he's not actually a entity, he's something that is a concept that people have kind of adapted to with the times and political climate you have militant israel that's looking to motivate its citizens to war then you've got occupied judea during the uh, rule of the roman empire you have a god who encourages violence you have a god who encourages peace what happened well obviously there isn't a god out there you're just making the claim that this entity that you call god is just an excuse or a motivation for your political rah-rah speeches Well, all well and good to make the accusation, but those are the four issues, is if we have love in the Old Testament, as well as the New. If we have violence, the question isn't that you have violence, it's what kind of violence and in what way was it applied. And of course, when we're talking about the disparity, is it in fact the case? So I guess let's just start with the fundamentals, everyone says, You know referencing Jesus turn the other cheek in Matthew chapter 5. That was in the Sermon on the Mount. He who strikes you with his right hand, uh, turn your left cheek to him also. And note, what else does it say? If he takes your cloak, give him your tunic also. If he compels you to go one mile with him, go with him too. These were instructions that Jesus was giving not only regarding hospitality, not in regarding just response to insults, but what's interesting is that walking a mile, compelling someone to go a mile, most translations put it, that was a condition of being an occupied people. And when Jesus was telling someone to go two miles with somebody, it was what? Not this command of meekness and gentleness, but above and beyond what was required of you mm-hmm. in terms of goodwill, even towards those who were evil. Now, obviously, Jesus modeled that perfectly. His apostles got that message, Romans 5 and verse 8. God died for the sinners, for the ungodly, for those who hated him. So it's not just love because that's what makes people feel good. It's proactively showing goodness for its own sake. Now, when I read the New Testament, we can all cite verses, the most prominent of which is John 3.16, God so loved the world. But the verse right before that, interestingly enough, actually two verses before that, mentions uh, an interesting incident in the book of Numbers, not generally when we go to describe love. There's another passage that people go to, and I Shudder that this is even a quote, but a, a hedonistic person who called themselves a pastor in a debate said that people don't go to the book of Leviticus to find out how to do the Christian life. We do the Christian life by loving your neighbor as yourself. Now, Bo, where is the statement, where is the command? love your neighbor as yourself it's certainly in, in the, the new testament of leviticus leviticus chapter nineteen. yeah <laughs> so first of all the commands and references to love the prescriptive meaning the commands that demand an action a response an actual instruction right prescriptive not descriptive that someone loved at some time but descriptive this is what you're to do was instructed in the books of the bible that people tend to shy away from if they're going to the Old Testament, why? Because the same books that so supposedly contain all this violence and slaughter are also the same books that are communicating love. So what's happening here? Maybe some misrepresentation, maybe some partial reading, and there's no greater example of that than, believe it or not, a New Testament example of a call to violence and slaughter. Uh, The philosopher and atheist, uh, he's technically a Buddhist now, but uh, atheistic, uh, philosopher and speaker Samuel Harris made a quotation showing that the New Testament Jesus is just as violent as the old, because in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 27, this is a quote from Jesus in the red letters. You can look it up. He said, Those who would not have me as king over me, bring them before me and slay them at my feet. Now that's very violent Jesus. That's very intolerant Jesus. That's very cruel Jesus. So why is it that when the apostles, and this is dealing with the difference between descriptive and prescriptive, when Jesus' followers then went on to say, you know, we're little Christs, we're here to act like Christ, that the Apostle Peter said, in him you have an excellent example, in him who was no deceit found in his mouth. Or did he sin in any way? Referencing Isaiah chapter 52 and 53, that he was the Colossians 1 style, right? The image of the invisible God, the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Everything that we see in the Old Testament, we see revealed in the New in the person of Jesus. Hmm. So when Jesus is saying these things like, slay them before my feet, why is it that none of his followers got the message? That they never took that one verse at the end of a longer conversation, spoiler alert, and took it the way that's oftentimes presented? The answer is that people are lying. They're giving partial information in order to misrepresent somebody. And the best way to respond to these kind of accusations is just hold them to the same account. So it doesn't matter when, where, why, or to whom, or how something was being said. The fact that you put those words in that order means you're calling for someone to violence. Well, the moment that Sam Harris quoted that statement, come bring them before me and slay them at my feet, guess what, Sam Harris is calling for violence now. Why is it that Luke 19 wasn't taken as a call to violence? It's because it was a parable. an illustrative story showing a king and by the way a reference to one of herod's descendants who was a decidedly bloody man to illustrate what the coming of the kingdom of heaven investing in the people who would believe in him being rewarded and those who rejected him not being rewarded that was the punchline. you can just read the passages in entirety to follow that point but then if we go to the old testament what do we have prescriptions to violence well certainly during the time of joshua when they were instructed oh in the book of Deuteronomy, what does it say regarding the people of Canaan? To drive them out, not spare man, woman, and child, not even to spare the cattle. The time of Samuel, 1 Samuel specifically instructs to Saul with the Amalekites when it describes what the Babylonians would do to the people of Israel. Already you can tell we're heading in an odd direction. All of this is in the section of scripture we would call history. From Genesis to Esther, describing history does contain violence. Why? Because history contains violence the fact that people are described not prescribed described as committing violence you have to ask when where and why because if i were to be consistent with this and say well as we see the united states can't be trusted to be a moral society why well because in 1942 they they were very violent i mean look look what they did to the germans and the europeans and the 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 asiatic countries the japanese Look at all this violence in United States history. Well, yes, some of the violence that the United States committed was, in fact, immoral, but not all of it. And, in fact, response to tyranny, answering for an expansion to conquer all of the known world, as described in Hitler's book Mein Kampf, that is, in fact, a good reason to commit violence, that that kind of evil needs to be opposed violently. It needs to be restrained by force. So let's go to the Old Testament what reasons did Israel have to in the case of Samuel for instance and by the way just a quick refresher when was Samuel around as far as the dates are concerned time of David so a thousand BC
1: uh, David's a thousand BC Samuel would be a um, uh, he'd probably be born a little prior
2: yeah he, he was old when David was around yeah, yeah. but note that point so thousand BC when the Amalekites were ordered When King Saul was ordered, wipe these guys out, don't spare anyone or anything. There's two routes that we can go with that. Either that's linguistic, like you go to a sporting event, uh, say, uh, Dave, you went to England, and they call it football there for some reason. If they managed to score one goal, you say they destroyed their opponent, right? It was an absolute massacre. And sometimes (laughs)
1: people, yeah, like, I killed them. Like, we killed them. Why aren't the police being
2: called? Because we get the literary device. I don't necessarily buy that. I can take the text at face value and go, yes, these guys were ordered to be driven out of the land. But here's the interesting thing. When did the Amalekites first appear in Scripture? When Samuel saw someone who wasn't Jewish and said, I'm gonna smash it. No. No. He, what, was following up on instructions from Samuel, who read what? Deuteronomy.
1: Yeah. Hundreds of years before.
2: 400 years before, Mm -hmm. where the Amalekites attacked the Jews. And was that the only time the Amalekites attacked the Jews? no no in fact it was almost a weekly occurrence considering they were a culture that thrived on raiding kidnapping and murder now what's interesting about that as well is if you say wasn't that a little a caricature aren't you making out these people to be worse than they were okay let's let's go to a actual example of an Amalekite not just the king but let's go to an individual who survived when Saul disobeyed Samuel's order he spared women, children, and some of the cattle, right? And he was punished for that. He lost the kingship because of that. Now, what's interesting is this. We receive a word later on, another 400 years, ironically, to the time of Esther, where an Agagite, that was a descendant of King Agag, one of the men that Saul spared, was uh, in good political standing with the king of Persia. That would have been Artaxerxes at the time. And what was interesting about this uh, relationship was that basically let Haman, the Agagite, do what he wanted as far as his uh, public relations, and that's included, as politicians are wont to do, hosting parades for themselves, and honoring themselves, and having everyone bow down and worship them as their culture would see fit. Now what's, you know, what's interesting about that, he didn't see. It wasn't like you know that one guy crossing his arms not saluting Hitler in the crowd, encouraging people to be that guy, right? He didn't attend the parade and show an act of defiance. He found out that Haman was having his biannual worship me parade, and what? Decided to go home on a different route. Someone told him that a Hebrew, a Jewish person, was not attending his daily worship me parades, and what was his conclusion? I'm going to exterminate his entire ethnicity. Very reasonable people here. So, if we're talking about one example of a man who on the case of a rumored bruised ego sought their extermination, we see a continual record through the time of Judges and even during the ministry of David, he attacked Amalekite cities that were raiding Jewish borders. We see a people that couldn't live at peace after 400 years of second chances before this order was given. And the trend continues. But if we look at, say, for example, Canaan, when were they given warnings? 800 years prior to, or uh, excuse me, 600 years prior to the time of Moses during the ministry of Abraham, where he was instructed in Genesis 15 not to wipe out the kings, just to save your son-in-law, right? Or your nephew. And note... The iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. These people will be judged, but only after four generations. When Moses came into the Promised Land, what? They weren't even driven out. They were given another chance. It was at the time of the book of Joshua that then they started to get driven out. And guess what? Even then, they didn't obey orders. The Canaanites were given more and more and more time. So what's interesting about that is we see Hundreds of years of second chances being put before these orders of conquest and extermination go, and only after they've demonstrated they can't, won't live at peace with the Jewish people. We can go on with the Philistines and noting they were warned by Samuel in 1000 BC, but Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, didn't wipe them out until the 600s and their 400-year mark. We note Assyria was given a warning by Nahum 100 years before Nebuchadnezzar did the same thing to them. We see Babylon given a warning by Isaiah in 700 BC and Alexander the Great didn't take them over until the 300s. We see Israel was given a warning by Moses in 1410 and Sennacherib, this is the northern ten tribes, the Assyrian king didn't take them over until the 700s following the time of Jonah. We can go to Judah and southern Israel who was also given that same warning, Nebuchadnezzar didn't take them out until the 600s. On and on it goes, but if you have this trend of not just days not just decades, centuries of offers to not experience judgment, if people are then ordered after the centuries are ignored for judgment to take place, and these are historical records, not descriptions of people to be exterminated that, by the way, no longer exist. Anyone here heard of an Amalekite? Anyone here heard, well, there are Canaanites out there, but interestingly enough, it's a very broad subject. That's why Genesis 15 names more than one group. Anyone hear of the Philistines? I know there's a Palestinian group, but those are just land squatters from Lebanon and Syria. Everyone ever heard of these groups that were exterminated. If the Bible is descriptive, that's just telling you history. Mm. If it's prescriptive, how would these be followed through on if the people groups no longer exist? They were judged and this is the point. If you actually ask when, why, where, how, you look verses back and go, oh, this wasn't their first interaction, then just a verse in isolation calling for slaughter is just as dishonest as someone referencing a parable of Jesus and saying Jesus called for violence when no Christian took it that way, including and especially the people who would have most access to it. I don't care what Reza Aslan says. So when we're talking about this, let's just take it to its, uh, I guess, most edifying source of information. And Bo, I'll casually pass this on to you. (laughs) When it comes to the claim that the New Testament God is full of love and mercy, we can obviously use the Leviticus example to stamp that down flat, but what would be some of your if someone were asking this on the street, favorite examples of just the love of God being demonstrated more than any other in the half of the Bible, people generally don't look to to find God's love, as far as the Old Testament.
1: Yeah, uh, and and this is, uh, I'm glad you brought that up, Sean, and, and uh, I'll answer it with my personal kind of testimony in life, and that is, um, you know, I started reading the Bible um, from the book of Genesis on, and, what, and, and the question that we were asked just now um, um, is one that, that I used to use a lot against Christianity, mm-hmm. myself personally. Um, you know, when you grow up secular and you grow up very progressive and a, um, a, a humanist, naturalist uh, kind of person, you um, try to find arguments to kind of throw off the God of the Bible. The last thing you really want is the Bible to be true. And so, and the reason is, is because of accountability. Like, for instance, like in the Old Testament in the book of Lamentations, a guy named Jeremiah, prophet, wrote this book. It's during a very sad time in Jerusalem. Uh, they are being taken captive, they are being ravished, they are uh, actually being starved out by the enemy. People are even eating their own children to live. I mean, it's a really horrible uh, situation. But Mm -hmm. Jeremiah says something that I certainly didn't want to be true. And he says it in chapter 3, verse 39, Why should any living man, or it could be translated, Why should any living human complain when punished For their sins. Mm. And and that's what you're trying to avoid, ultimately, is, you know, being punished for your sins. Um, Now, so a lot of times when we would hear these arguments, I would kind of regurgitate them in my own special way um, against Christianity and, and against Christians. But when I read the Bible, when I started reading the Bible, I was kind of blown away. That, as Sean put it, there's the whole entire Old Testament is absolutely phenomenal. Mm. It, it's phenomenal in this way that God would love people um, who consistently, continually, violently move away from Him.
2: Right. Like Romans 5 8.
1: Yeah, uh, 5 8. Wh- wh- you want to quote that?
2: That's. God died for the ungodly, for sinners. That's right. Mm. He died all for sinners. To enemies,
1: yeah. When we were still enemies, yeah. And this, this, this new, these New Testament passages that we just are thinking of right now are all, are all illustrated to us mm-hmm. in the Old Testament. God preserves mankind. He preserves yeah. human beings. He continues to do so despite their continually moving away from him. Now, me being uh, a really just like a, a punk kid, you know, a, uh, a guy who you know uh, did drugs and and things like that, just in a a regular reading of the Bible, mm. I, I I got that. I, I understood that. Boy, man, this God's mm. really a loving God to mm. continually go after mm. human beings, mm. like um you know if there's one thing the bible makes very clear is that we are vile and abominable like and you have to grab that we are utterly vile and abominable this is so different from the message i grew up with as a progressive yeah you know i grew up no man you're great and if you just follow your heart you know you're gonna do the right things you're gonna do everything great what i found out is i just became a giant narcissist um and so the, you know, w- I, I would suggest to any person who struggles with this question to simply just read the Bible, mm. like read through the Bible mm. and and look at the big picture yeah. in the Bible. You know, God is a righteous God. Everybody is vile and abominable in his presence. Mm-hmm. No one deserves to live. Yeah. And any act of the, the spirit or the breath, in us is a incredible act of mercy yeah. and and this is this is the foundation of the scriptures um uh and so um you know without that understanding of our depravity yeah. then god does seem like a moral monster right you know yeah I, if which if is a
0: book right someone authored <laughs> that's that, right. yeah got that's the moral right. monster yeah, yeah.
1: But he seems like that if, if, if there is no, or if there yeah. is no depravity, yeah, you know? Um, but because of our depravity, which, uh, we could see within us, meaning when you search your heart and we can see it without us, meaning yeah. just looking at human beings and what we've done in history, yeah. uh, I, I think there's no doubt that we are abominable and vile right. and that we need saving. And so any act of the deity, to reveal himself is an act of mercy, of infinite mercy. He's not under any obligation. God is not under any obligation to have mercy on us. And so that's what I got from a a Jane's Addiction listening, red hot chili pepper going, (laughs) (laughs) you know, kid from Southern California, you know, um, so uh, you know, I would I would just ask that person maybe to read the Old Testament and w- yeah. along with the New Testament, and uh, hopefully they see that picture too.
0: Yeah, and that was a huge part of Jesus' ministry when he walked this earth. To the to the Pharisees, the people who thought, "Oh, okay, holiness, I got it, I got that." You know, I'll do this, <laughs> do that. You know, big right. part of his ministry was to show them that's what, what the Sermon on the Mount was about. Like you, you know, outwardly, yeah, don't commit murder, but if you've if you've thought murderous thoughts, if you've hated your brother, then you've missed the mark of yeah. holiness. You've murdered them in your heart, and he tried to show them their depravity. You yeah, know? and that's why he was more, um, you know, grace gave grace to the prostitute and the, you know these people that knew they were depraved. You know, they kind of knew they were. <laughs> they knew
1: they needed a savior. They
0: knew they needed a savior. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Blaise Pascal, the mathematician and the inventor back in the 1600s, said something really cool. He said, Christianity is very strange, and he says it orders humans to recognize that they are vile, even abominable, yeah. yet orders them to be like God. Yeah. It's interesting, right? <laughs> right? And now, but it says without such a counterbalance, and this is a counterbalance, right? Yeah. You're abominable bull and vile, yep. but you need to be exactly like God, yep. to dwell with God. Without that counterbalance, the elevation would make him horribly vain, mm. or the humbling would make him terribly object. Yeah. So we need both those things. Right. And we need, we need to understand that we are vile, yeah. and we need to understand that God is making us like him. Yeah. Both of those things, that counterbalance takes our pride, humbles us, yeah. and it takes those who are depressed and lowly and raises us up.
0: Yeah, yeah, amen. Yeah, that's cool. I thought of our friend Caleb who used to be a, a lifeguard and um, he was sharing with me that he, you have to get permission to save someone, you know, cause the way the world is these days, you can't just put your hands on somebody. <laughs> so you have to yeah. say, I'm going to save you now, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so, and so the person has to kind of admit they're drowning and, and right, you know, right. and, and receive that. And it just struck me as like, well, it's really the gospel. You know, you have to, yeah, I'm drowning and I need, I need saving and need yes, saving. you need to come. <laughs> Yeah. you have to humble yourself. You yeah. Know. And it was cool. I was at an
1: <laughs> AA meeting today and, um, you know, my dad's, if he was still alive, it would have been his 41st AA birthday. Uh, and so I, I commemorate it by going to one of his meetings that he uh, used to go to. Well, and I sit in, in the meeting and just listen, yeah. but it was great to hear everybody basically share their depravity <laughs> you know, yeah. and their need, you know, right. for help. And, yeah. uh, And that's always a refreshing thing, right? you know?
0: Right, very good. Well, thank you guys for for laying that out for us. Uh, Moving on here, I don't know if um, there's a question from Confused About Leviticus is his his name, (laughs) but I think they answered it yesterday, but we weren't here. No? Okay. so
2: We've been continuously asking them to provide chapter and verse just to make sure that they're listening to the answer. Since we're four times with no response, uh, why don't we wait a minute? I do know the passage he's referring to, but we'll pass this quick test to make sure it's a sincere question.
0: So wait for the reference of. This st- is about the mating of different kinds of animals, right? Yeah, we'll okay. wait for
2: them to provide chapter and verse. Oh.
0: Okay, so if you let us know what verse you're talking about, we can, we'll jump into that. Um, sounds reasonable yeah, and that way me. we
1: can that way we can actually go to the the verse to ourselves and be more specific. Of yeah, exactly what text we're we're referring to. Right, because there good. is a lot of animals in there. There's yes, yeah. <laughs> in there's Nigerian
2: no, culture. There's no zog, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yes, yeah, thank thank you for
0: that. For question. If you can um, uh, just clarify that a bit, and uh, we'll get back to that question. But question from um, Nicole. I love these. These are my favorite kind of questions. Real simple, but just profound. Why did God create? the world and us why did god create us if he's sufficient by himself why 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 sean why (laughs) Bo?
2: well the the answer obviously isn't because he had to right and if it's not a need then it's a want yeah because otherwise it would have been a mistake and a god who does all things well that's out categorically so just keeping it as simple as possible i think the best answer is just god's involvement in our lives today if he made us for a reason obviously still pursuing that reason and in philippians chapter 4 we're given an interesting description of not just our relationship with god as a whole but some very interesting instructions for how god is seeing us through life Uh, when it comes to not just you know the idea of provision. And I I wanna lay out these safety nets because there are false teachers out there who'll use these kinds of passages and say that God's all about making you feel good, about you getting what you want. When it comes to the reason that we were created, it wasn't so that he could spoil his grandkids, right? It wasn't so that we could just be given everything that we think that we want. But Paul the Apostle has a very interesting observation. When he was talking from a jail, by the way, an ancient world jail, not the kind of uh, three-star hotels that you'd be, I guess, uh, complaining about as far as spreadsheets is concerned. There's uh, records when he was talking about uh, needing a coat because it got cold at night. They weren't uh, very generous with these things. This is uh, his observation about not only what he's received from the Philippians but how he sees that as an extension of how God treats all of us. This is verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though surely you did care, but you lacked opportunity. So this is in the context of them sending them a gift. And it says this, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound, to have a little, to have a lot. I know how to uh, in everywhere and in everything I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me nevertheless you have done well that you shared in my distress now here's where we get into an interesting historical background noting philippi macedonia the regions that they were in you shared concerning me giving not just with you only but with me even in thessalonica remember the thessalonian church where he was saying, Not that I seek the gift, but the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from the one who brought it to him, and Epaphroditus, the thing sent to you, a sweet-smelling sweet, swell, a sweet smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Now, here we go. Verse 19. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Hmm. Now, that may seem like just a receipt, a confirmation of a benevolence gift that was given to a guy who was hungry, who needed clothes, who needed food, who wasn't being taken care of very well by a pagan government. But notice that observation in the conclusion. He talks about them being generous. Not that I needed it, when he clearly did. Not that I wanted it. I know how to handle these things in Christ Jesus. But as you've provided for me, So God will provide for you according to what? His riches. His glory. And that, Nicole, is the answer. When it comes to the reason why we exist, it's to model Him, His weight, literally. That's what glory means. Every way possible. We go back to the book of Genesis when we were created in the image of God. The first description, the first purpose we were to fill was to what? fill and subdue the earth Mm. to have authority over the land animals the sea animals the creepy crawlies everything (laughs) on the earth to model the role that god has in our lives as the one in dominion over creation this Mm. is what it means when it says we're made in the image of god we obviously aren't eternal we had a starting point we obviously don't have all power i can lift some weight, but not all of it, right, but when it comes to the things we do reflect about God, that's what the Bible means by His glory, that we're provided for not just good things, but God things, that we were created on this earth to enjoy not just good feeling things, but the God-centered things, according to His riches and according to His glory. If I am asking, am I here to make money? Well, God can do that any time he wants, and that just kind of a, a play exercise well, It might fit into the detail about him wanting to make us, but it wasn't because he was bored. Is it because he needed to make us? No, obviously, because his glory was already his own. His riches were already his own. We can read that in the Psalms. The reason we exist, not just in Genesis, but going all the way into the New Testament, is the idea that we're called to glorify God, to enjoy him, and to share that joy with as many people as possible. Because as Bo was stating earlier, we're all depraved. And that that just means like wicked to the core, right? Rotten, irredeemable, our image is still made in the image of God, but it's fractured, it's corrupted by sin and death and evil. Instead of wanting to be generous, we like to hoard wealth. Instead of wanting to be gentle, we like to tear people down until it's our turn, right? Instead of wanting to express the love of God, we only limit it to people who love us first. We show parts of God, but it's broken. It never actually reflects the image. That's what the Holy Spirit is going to do in the lives of those who trust in what Jesus did for them. And if we have that opportunity to receive Jesus into our lives, we're fulfilling our purpose. We're back to the starting point again. We're the reason we were created again. Now, obviously, you say, so does that mean I stop sinning? Not yet because we're still in a fallen, sinful body. But we do have a, not pure, not holy, but a redeemed soul, one that's filled with the Holy Spirit, the entity that is the fullness of the glory of God, and that in conflict with us, you can read the book of Romans chapter 7 to describe what that feels like, but you see someone who wants to do the right thing, who wants to do the God thing, who wants to know the riches of God, who wants to know the glory of God, to share it with people, but also someone who wants to keep it, but also someone who wants to be partial with it, mm. but also someone who wants to determine who is worthy of it, who's worthy of my time as if worthy object. Mm. And all of that ties back into that fractured image, that until we see Jesus, this body, what the book of 1 John chapter 2 calls the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, these are the things that keep us from honoring God fully. But God, through us, allows us to fulfill our purpose again. And like uh, my dad's old Siberian husky, they, they called her Nikki Babushka, she was never more happy than she, when she was fulfilling the purpose that she was created for, and that was pulling sleds as a dog, right? Yeah. Now obviously he didn't have much snow in Southern California, but he did have a skateboard and a leash. And so she loved going for her, not really runs, it was more of a sprint and sniff, but mm-hmm. it was a very exciting moment for her, a very fulfilling moment for her, mm-hmm. when she got to fulfill her purpose. When the Holy Spirit lives out his nature through us, that's what we were created for what we'll get to do with jesus forever when that work in our hearts is complete when we're just like him again and when paul and he makes comparisons to this as well but especially in verse 19 is talking about being provided for according to the glory of god that's the answer the glory of god to show how much he's worth to show how loving he is to show how generous he is to show how good he is and oftentimes god does that maybe even in spite of ourselves But the good news is that there are still times when he can do that, and you can do it, too, if you just ask him. And, uh, Bo, for uh, those listening, what would you tell people who maybe don't know the Holy Spirit, who want to reflect that image of God, to know God in a more personal way? They want to be good people, but they can't be perfect people. How do they become perfect in the eyes of God? By praying all the right words, attending all the right churches? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) the nail on the head
1: no it it says in the book of uh, John the Gospel of John to as many as received him to them he gave the right to become children of God and what that means is that to those who receive Jesus and that's simply it is believing in the work the finished work of Jesus Christ for you um, on the cross and him paying the price for your sin and also, Jesus giving you his life, his righteous life. And you um, giving him, him taking, if you will, your unrighteous life. All that wonderful exchange t- took place um, and does take place when we trust in Jesus. And this is why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so, he is the gate, he is the door to the father. Um, it's pretty, uh, I like a simple analogy, and that is if if some kid in my neighborhood walked in my house and just just walked in, I didn't even know him, and he just went into my refrigerator, I'd be like, what are you doing, you know? But if they say to me, oh, um, I know your son, you know, Bo James is outside, blah, blah, blah. I was talking to him, he said, go into the fridge, grab a soda pop, whatever, mm-hmm. you know? It's like, if you know the Son, yeah, you're yeah. in the house. You have access, yeah. You have access to the house, so you need to know the Son. Yeah. The Son has given you access to the Father. Um, and and by the way, I love that question, and um, and um, I find that, you know, this kind of question is so cool because all I, I can get from looking at our world is that God is, it says in the book of Psalm 115:1, 1, he sits in the heavens and he does whatever pleases him. Yeah. And, and all I can grab from looking at this world is, is, oh my, like God's got quite an imagination. And, and he is an artist in, mm. in so many ways. And being an artist and being someone who loves art and uh, as a kid always worked with oil, pastel stuff and, mm and just loving music and um you know if you're an artist out there i mean you know why god created Mm. you know the artist knows why god created right because the artists create yeah and and we make and you know um you know there's a statement we are the music makers we are the dreamers of a dream Mm. you know and people don't get that but the artists get it yeah meaning there's there's things going on in our mind, we mm-hmm. need to create, yeah. we need to be actively creating. Some people are, are okay with just numbers, you know, mm-hmm. guys like John Lennox, mathematician, maybe Blaise Pascal, mathematician. Some mm-hmm. people are into just, you know, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. but, but the artist, um, you know, they have an imagination. Yeah. They want to see diversity and, and not diversity. Like the world right now is defining diversity. But I mean diversity in bugs, diversity in yeah. trees, diversity mm-hmm. in animal- sea life. Yeah, sea that. life, yeah. you know, and you look at all that's what I mean. What does this world tell me? Wow, mm-hmm. what an artist, mm. you know, and God sits in the heavens. Psalm 15 and does whatever pleases yeah. him. Yeah. You know, why does the artist create? Because there's some joy in it, yeah. you know, Right. and um, sometimes I just go back to that simple kind of idea, mm. you mm. know,
0: it's beautiful very good well nicole thank you for that question uh we have a question from uh shoespeak here which is a very revelationy question if you guys are ready for this put on your thinking caps and your your deep uh, your deep moods here um thanks for your question shoespeak great question here in revelation 9 4 uh, the demonic locusts are given power to harm all but those with the seal on their foreheads but revelation 7 9 describes a great multitude great multitude in heaven who are coming out of the tribulation does this imply that during the trumpets people will repent and turn to christ and get sealed but they will not yet be raptured how are there sealed believers still on earth during the fifth trumpet Should you guys grab that
2: yeah uh chapter seven comes before chapter nine for a reason um that's the most straightforward answer we because can of numbers give. yeah but <laughs> if we're going to again uh clarify there's a lot of people who have Different views in the end times we respect them we've taken them seriously enough to hear them out but when it comes down to it we have our own views and we hopefully have given reasonable answers as to what those views are When it comes to the chronology of the tribulation, we take the book of Revelation just like we would the other books of prophecy in the Old Testament. It's structured in a summation of events, and then it switches to heaven. It notes what's going on spiritually. How's the gospel being preached? So, for example, when we start Revelation 6, the seal judgments, then we go to 7, and suddenly the 144,000 show up. What happened? Well, they're both happening, but from different angles. We're being told, this section of the tribulation, here's how people are getting saved we go to the next section chapters 8 and 9 that's the trumpet judgments but what's happening we're being clarified the first half of the tribulation how did the 144,000 get saved how is the gospel going out until this point until the sixth trumpet judgment mm-hmm. it's our seventh trumpet judgment excuse me it's the two witnesses chapter 11 clarifying that there's a pause chapters 12 and 13 who's this Antichrist figure why is he suddenly rising to prominence The second half of the tribulation going into chapter 16 the plagues that are involved there chapter 18 clarifying what was talked about in chapter 16 mystery babylon and its destruction It had never been mentioned before it describes it then chapter 19 the second coming of christ chapter 20 the millennial kingdom chapter 21 the new creation we take that as an overview as the order your question i think is making uh two jumps too far in the reason why we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. If you wonder how is it that people are being distinguished by these locusts in the mid to, um, I guess, first third of the tribulation-ish section, closer to the halfway point, but not Mm -hmm. enough, where they're being distinguished on the earth from people who don't have the seal of God in their foreheads, in reference to Revelation 7. Almost, it's assuming that you're grasping at this point people are sealed on the earth people are what not harmed by the plagues that are happening right. and that's literally how chapter seven starts but if on the other hand you're going okay these people are being sealed these people are being judged why is it that they aren't raptured mm. because according to our view and the majority of people who uh, hold a um, dispensationalist futurist view of the end times that's the fancy way of putting it The rapture has already happened. The people who are going through the tribulation are given another chance, much like the Gibeonites in the book of Joshua. The conquest of Canaan has already taken place, but God's providing a means of escape to anyone going through it, even though those who would be saved from it have already passed. Now, obviously, there isn't an example in every judgment of God. There wasn't a, you know, Salvation for those in the middle of the flood to climb onto the ark or something. The people who rejected the ark were judged. The people who rejected Sodom and Gomorrah's, uh, what would it be, the evacuation plan, the not a drill, fire drill, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the fire emergency evacuation plan, they were judged. But we look at, for example, the conquest of Babylon. What did we see? We saw two. Exiles; Those who were taken peaceably, those who were taken by force, if you survived. But both were taken to Babylon. Both lives were spared. Mm. So the Mm. point of emphasis is how we're handling this passage is in a chronology of the tribulation, chapter 6 all the way to chapter uh, 19, if we're talking just pure tribulation. We see that the rapture happened before that. you could say it's in the four or five range but the idea is before the first seal is broken before the antichrist rises to power a la second thessalonians 2. that's why we would harmonize these passages and say because there's a flow of this because there's a consistent narrative of this and we're um, handling its structure just like we would old testament books of prophecy and history then we're going okay So, people are being sealed. When did that happen? Chapter 7. So, why aren't these people raptured? Either that's going to happen at the end, which is the post-tribulation or mid-tribulation view. Mm -hmm. Either it's already happened, the pre-tribulation rapture view, which is our view, or there is no rapture, which has to pretend 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15, Matthew, or uh, Luke chapter, uh, what was it? Uh, Pray always that you may escape all of these things. Was it Luke Mm -hmm. 24 or 26? Mm, I'll I'll clarify that in a moment, but uh, pray always that you may escape all of these things that Jesus was just Speaking nonsense if he had made that provision in the context of the tribulation all these things Mm. We would hold that means of provision that means of escape that God always provides in judgment the ark before the flood the warnings of the angels before Sodom and Gomorrah the um, exile of Daniel Ezekiel and his friends before the conquest and uh, ransacking and burning of the uh, palace walls. On and on it goes. Whenever God judges, he always provides a warning, a means of escape. And then when those who have received that warning have taken advantage of the means of escape, then judgment falls. But since the tribulation, we're literally told it's a unique situation, people are being even saved within it. You read Revelation chapter 7 plainly. Those that come out of the great tribulation. That is still possible. Mm. So people can still get saved. People will still get saved. People will still be protected from the wrath of God. But... That doesn't mean that the Antichrist won't be targeting them. That doesn't mean that, as Jesus said in Matthew 24, unless those days were shortened, no flesh would survive. That doesn't mean they will be spared persecution. That doesn't mean that any more than we are today. That doesn't mean that it won't be an ugly time in history, the ugliest it'll ever allowed to get. But that's the point. Chapter seven comes before chapter nine. If you say, has the rapture not yet happened? No, it it has yet happened, but it happened, happened. That's how we harmonize that view the rapture before the tribulation, the tribulation itself, and then they would say either at the midpoint, it would be after this, those who were sealed, the post view, it would be after the great tribulation when the uh, Lord comes back, or our view, which is it happened beforehand, and that's what set off the first seals. God's taken his people out of the way the church, and that's why we have no mention of them in Revelation all the way from chapter 3, to chapter 19 at the end of the tribulation.
1: Yeah, do you think that uh, maybe um, a lot of people read chapter 9 of Revelation where it talks about the trumpets, well the fifth angel, angel sounded his trumpet, and they kind of uh, mistaken that with the Thessalonian passage um, that talks about at the last trumpet?
2: well, that wouldn't even be the last trumpet, that's a (laughs) mid-tribulation point of view, Mm -hmm. Uh, they would note that because the seventh trumpet, the last of the seven trumpets, sounds that that's what's being applied, that would mean that the tribulation period's halfway point, if that's what it was talking about, is the mark of the rapture when the Lord comes. But the problem with that, again, is, if you hold this view, fine, but the problem with that, again, is... The context of that statement wasn't mentioning a sequence of trumpets or even necessarily a, a finality of trumpets. It's just noting with a loud pronouncement. Yeah. And, and we can go into the Greek tomorrow. My father would be much more qualified to go into details on this, but that would be the handling. If you have a mid tribulation rapture view, you'd read into, and that, that's not a wrong interpretation, by the way. Using the Bible to prove the Bible is fine. But the handling of First Thessalonians four into Revelation nine would be inappropriate because there's still two more trumpets. They would have to jump to eleven, but that's at the halfway point, not at the one third to three fifths point.
1: <laughs> right, right. Because I know some people. Uh, I know over the years, uh, people have kind of confused that too, or try to kind of infuse that Thessalonians passage, um, you know, with the the Revelation trumpets. Yeah, and uh, and certainly. I mean, it makes sense, there's, like you say, there's some issues there, um, but that, um, you know, you you clarified that. You know, I would also just say you might want to do a good study on the sealing that's taking place in chapter 7 of the book of Revelation. Mm. It's definitely a specific kind of sealing, one that's different, I would say, from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, I think it is, that says, uh, for those in Christ have been sealed with the Holy Spirit guaranteeing our salvation. And uh, that this—and uh, you might—sometimes when we take a passage like in Ephesians chapter 1 that says seal, and then we, then we re- read Revelation chapter 7 and we see seal, we kind of can go, oh, that must be the same seal. Maybe. Maybe. It mm. could be, but it might not be. Mm. And, and that's why um, I would recommend a further study— into kind of what's going on here. It's going to move you into passages in the book of uh, Ezekiel and different areas of Scripture yeah. um, But you'll see kind of what is going on here. This is not something very this is not something new in the book of Revelation This is uh, This is kind of how God does it if you will so to speak But yeah, anyway, and
2: that, that's why he's spelling it out and uh, just real quick since we're almost out of time um, if you want a very, very good historical overview of just the views people have had, how they've handled revelation throughout history. Uh, Dispensationalism Before Darby by William C. Watson is fantastic for answering a lot of the internet slogans that are thrown around. If you would like to at least hear out a good case for a mid or a post-tribulation rapture theory, uh, look up Why I Don't Fear the Antichrist by Michael Brown. And if you're a preterist, just get out of here. (laughs) I'm kidding, we love you.
0: Well, thank you for joining us today. Shoespeak says, uh, thank you. That was very helpful and informative. And he also confirms and verified that seven does come before nine. Okay, hey. So we're, we're very clear hey. on that. Yeah, we're moving if in the nothing right else today, seven <laughs> comes before nine. Thank you for joining us and for your questions. We'll be back tomorrow, same time and same place. Have a wonderful evening. Thank you again for joining us on A Reason for Hope. We'll see you tomorrow.
2: You've been listening to A Reason for Hope.